0: Hello everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who's we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as per usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hello! And this week we're also once again joined by Graham.
1: As is increasingly per usual.
0: Indeed, try as we might we cannot get rid of him. So how are you doing today, guys?
1: I'm good. I'm recording disturbingly late by my standards. It's after Strictly. After Strictly.
2: And I'm still suffering from shock that our scheduling had to work around Graham's love of mainstream Saturday evening light entertainment.
1: As opposed to increasingly niche Sunday evening light entertainment.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Meanwhile, you know, I'm just grappling with the hard to reckon fact that today is Saturday.
2: Actually, what, what sure we theorised, well, what I theorised was that so taken aback were you by BBC One screening the first episode of Superman and Lois and then offering you the full series on the red button, that that's what had sucked you into a dark black hole.
0: You're right, I was just. All wrapped up with Superman and his whiny teenage sons. <laughs> <laughs>
2: better title, that and, I think. And, and his wife, who never looks at the same camera uh, at the camera with both eyes at the same time.
0: It's called commanding a room, I think, maybe. <laughs>
2: yeah, but yeah, but she commands two rooms at once. Even better.
3: Totally.
2: <laughs> Value for money. Marty Feldman getting a run for his money, I tell you.
0: <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. Because now it's time for me to not make a reference about the film we're talking to. Talking to? Yes, we're going to pull up the film and have a chat with it.
2: <laughs> make it think about what it's done.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: But now it's time for me to not make a reference about the film we're talking about today because I don't want to accidentally predict a horrific future event. As we behold, V for Vendetta.
1: Indeed, yes.
0: So yes, that is the 2005 film, which is nominally directed by James Mateague, but is really both directed and written by the Wachowskis. (laughs) And based on the comic series illustrated by David Lloyd.
3: Yes.
1: Yeah, strange how no one wrote it,
2: isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird how those words just kind of sprung to life on the page around all the <laughs> pictures.
2: I, I just thought the artist just painted them in. Just as, Maybe. you know, they're part of the art. It's a new <laughs> new approach to comic books.
0: Yes, it's actually just entirely coincidental that the random letters he painted just so happened to make a coherent story.
2: That's it, yeah. Well, at times. <laughs> yeah.
0: They also look a like too carried away. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, it is written by Notorious Grumpus Alan Moore. Yes.
1: <laughs> Who we have prize with, don't we? I'm a huge fan of Alan Moore, and I was on the From Hell episode that we did a bit back.
2: And I'm a big fan of Alan Moore.
0: And I'm also a big fan of Alan Moore.
2: Wonderful. Right, this should go well then. Yes. Famously,
1: when when comic book fans agree on a particular artist or comic book line, that's the end of the disagreement, isn't it? Everything after that is plain sailing.
2: Yeah.
0: That's right. I mean, yes, shall we just end the episode there then?
2: Yeah. (laughs) A
0: little more. We're all fans. too.
2: It's marvellous. And anything deriving from his work is also, therefore, by um, design, marvellous you'd think it would be hard to screw up
0: well no no don't be silly guys fifa vendetta was published by the vertigo arm of dc so it can't be marvelous
1: that's true (laughs) Uh, very good very good yeah
3: yeah
0: also what i didn't know is apparently it actually started in warrior which was like a
2: british anthology comic yeah
1: it did, yes, originally uh, published under the aegis of Des Skin.
2: Ah, good old Des Skin.
1: Deza, yes.
2: Because every institution that he's ever been involved with has ended up with absolutely perfect cinematic renditions. Doctor Who.
3: <laughs>
1: yes, yes.
2: Um, Judge Dredd.
1: Of course, yes, Flawless.
2: Yeah. I mean, the track record on the man is, Um It's well, there. Uh,
1: it's there. Yeah, it, it, it exists. If
2: there's one thing you can say about the cinematic representations of comic strips originating from Deskin's stable, it's that there is one.
1: Yeah.
0: So, yeah, that's that, the background done. And now this is the, the part where we do a synopsis for the film
1: is Andrew. Really. Yeah,
0: this is the yeah. part where I just read out that synopsis what I've got <laughs> what I've got written down in my episode notes.
3: No, um, and, and hey, how,
0: how, that... how about guys? Fun idea I've just had. In the anarchic spirit of for Vendetta. Why don't you guys tell me what the plot synopsis is?
1: <laughs> I, was, no. I was going to suggest that <laughs> if you if you do not have a synopsis for V for Vendetta written down, why not go and ask your local anti-vaxxer who almost certainly has this movie memorised?
2: Yes, that's true.
0: Or at the very least, just has it scrawled in tiny Seven-style words on their V for Vendetta mask?
3: <laughs> yes.
2: Or... or... Uh, just um, maybe listen to what we think about the film, and then for a synopsis, just wait till Christmas twenty twenty two and look back on the year.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, because that is the weird thing about *V for Vendetta*. Is it, it really has predicted a lot of like the past few years. Yeah, I mean, yeah I mean,
2: really I looked, has, yeah, I mean, I looked. I looked on the BBC News headline page earlier just before we started recording, and the three top stories that came up were a new Germany, says coalition, (laughs) anti-Semitism, is it on the rise in Britain, and loads of stuff about viruses. So, you (laughs) know...
1: I'm really excited to have this new Germany. I've thought that New Zealand always had, you know, (laughs) kept all the newness to themselves, but now we've got this... (laughs)
2: So, um, so basically, I'll, I'll yeah. give it a stab at synopsizing. Okay. okay. okay.
0: Also, I, I should probably come clean for the listeners. I thought we were recording the episode tomorrow, so I did not prepare a synopsis.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, in a near future, oppressive fascist state,
3: mm-hmm.
2: a young girl called Evie is attacked by the. Um, local, well, let's face it, they're the Stasi, aren't they? (laughs) That's what they are. The Um, finger men. The finger men uh, for breaking the curfew as she's on her way to visit a colleague. As they're about to spend the evening um, brutalising and raping her, basically, is Mm -hmm. is the uh, intent, She's rescued by a masked vigilante. But not, because it's not Gotham City, the one you'd normally expect in a DC superhero film. Oh, no. <laughs> no, this man is dressed in an anonymous mask.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, is. <yes. laughs> How did they get the rights to that? Because I thought that group would be very resistant to collaborating with Hollywood.
2: I've always thought it was great that um, the anti-capitalist movement Anonymous sported mass-produced m- movie merchandise. Yeah. Well, one of my
0: favourite little cool. things looking this up, it even says on Wikipedia a portion of every sale of an Anonymous mask goes to Warner Brothers. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> yes. Yes.
2: I mean, fight the power a bit.
0: (laughs) Excuse me, the power. Can I just pay you, like, ten quid so I can fight you, please?
1: Subsidise the power.
2: Uh, So, uh, as part of the um, reward, I guess, for um, saving uh, young Evie, um, our masked vigilante, codenamed V, by the authorities, Um, which is handy, really, because all he's about is the vendetta and the vengeance and the quite a lot of words beginning with V in one particular speech.
1: Oh, boy, is he. I mean, there's a a bit where he's cooking, and I was genuinely astonished that it wasn't a vindaloo.
2: Yeah. um, I mean, I think that just for coming up with that many words in a speech that begin with V, and it still makes some kind of sense, should have got the scriptwriter an Oscar.
1: We'll get to my thoughts about the script. <laughs> I, <think. laughs>
2: I don't mean the rest of it, just that <laughs> bit, just uh, being that inventive with the letter V. Uh, I'm never gonna play that scriptwriter at Scrabble. I'll tell you.
3: Do so, you think
0: that's why V's plan took so long to put into action? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> With the song itself, and just started jotting down, and um, the vanquished, v- Vesuvius. Can the I? Vex- can I go? Vesuvius the, the
2: vanquished, in... vexatious vox populi. <laughs> 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 now, so anyway, a... um, could V um, by the agent, uh, by the uh authorities, is planning a firework display of sorts set to music. On November the 5th. A bit like your local council
3: does.
2: (laughs) Just that... One, he does it on the actual day. Not two days later. Um, And you don't pay for it. And... His is actually quite impressive. (laughs) Yeah. The downside is it results in the destruction of the old Bailey. Yes. Um... And is a statement against justice in this new, brave new world. As a result, obviously, this raises the ire of the authorities, and we then get a fairly standard um, evading capture whilst plotting against the bad guys. Um, asian provocateur plot mm-hmm. uh, that covers a lot of anti-fascist bases. In it. It, I mean, if you're going to have an Antifa box ticking exercise, this is the blueprint. Yeah. Um, and there are a few twists. There's a little bit of a weird romance p- twist. Kind of. I'm not sure whether it's romance or Stockholm Syndrome. It's one of the two.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: And ultimately, um, we see uh, the regime starting to be toppled.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And I'd say everybody lives happily ever after, but I've worn one of those masks. They're not easy to breathe through. It it will be difficult to, to enjoy life wearing one.
3: They,
1: they they all lived happily ever after, except for all of the scores of people who died.
2: That's right. Yep, yeah, pretty much. And 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 to be fair, pretty much, if you die in V for Vendetta, you die horribly, horribly.
0: See, for a moment, yeah. I thought you were going to say, if you die in V for Vendetta, you die in real life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, yeah. I think that's the problem. I didn't realise, actually, until I re-watched it for the podcast that it was a Wachowski film. Yeah. It feels very small for a Wachowski project.
1: Kind of, yeah, I see what you mean.
2: In in terms of aesthetic, which probably, if I think about it, is probably where the Wachowskis were going, Um, it reminds me of the 1984 version of 1984
1: Compounded by the fact that John Hurt is uh, the dictator this yes. time. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, switch sides.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we all get a bit more right wing as we get older, <laughs> don't we?
2: <Yeah.
0: laughs> uh, so grandpa with your opinions about immigrants and you're setting up the totalitarian <laughs> North Fire Party to brutally yeah. enforce like crackdowns on all minorities. I mean, you scamp. Is-
2: We've all seen films and TV shows setting sort of future
1: dystopias.
2: dystopias run by right-wing fascist regimes, but some of them try some kind of subtle allegory.
3: <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean, not this one. My nose is still sore from, <laughs> <laughs> from its subtle allegory. You don't have to explain the plot to an eight-year-old, do you? Really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you say that, but have you seen the world? People voted for Donald Trump. I think sometimes you do need to explain to them. No, the Nazis were the bad guys.
2: I I know, but you know.
1: Solid point. Let's see you argue against that, Andrew.
0: (laughs) Okay, I think I will rebuttal that with a, yeah, but.
2: It's it's kind of, this is kind of my first social commentary film, isn't it? (laughs) There's a lot of subtlety in the graphic novel, which is where I first came across V for Vendetta. There is a lot of subtlety in the graphic novel that has been brutally butchered at the hands of a right-wing fascist police state by the time <laughs> it gets onto the screen.
1: Yes, that's fair. Yeah, I did... There, there were I, many, I didn't many
0: know bits. that I'd argue that the graphic novel is even really that subtle.
2: It's not that subtle, but it has layers of subtlety that this film doesn't have. I mean, yes, it is pretty on the nose, which I think was a radical approach for a comic book to take back when it was mm-hmm. first published, more so than it would have been in a movie.
1: Yeah, you say that, although one of the things, because I, I did not like this movie when it came out, I was a huge fan of Alan Moore and David Lloyd's comic, and I did not think this did it justice. Um yeah. And part of it is I'm just allergic to the Wachowski sisters' prose. I just think it's just... You You, you can type this shit, but you can't see it, as Harrison Ford famously yeah. said to George Lucas. Yeah. Watching it again, I felt definitely more well-disposed to it. And I think part of it is I cannot remember the last time a commercial Hollywood movie... Not something that's you know siloed off safely yeah. in Oscar season, a big commercial movie that's meant to entertain people on a Saturday night, was this upfront about its politics.
2: Yeah, yeah, I guess.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's actually... why this is where I kind of like kick a wheel out from the car or something. I quite like <laughs> *V for Vendetta*.
2: I, I had, I had this strange thing, you know. You know when as a kid there was something that your you folks used to put on your dinner plate that you just mm. couldn't abide? Yeah. And then you try it again 20 years later as a grown-up and you find out that you've got a more sophisticated palate. Yeah. And it's actually quite tasty. I found that I enjoyed this a lot more this time round than I did initially. No, absolutely, I'm but on board. But I don't with you. think that's because I've got a more sophisticated cinematic palate. <laughs> yeah, I have, but I don't think that's the reason that I found this more enjoyable the second time around. I don't remember Portman being quite as good as she was, especially during mm. the imprisonment scenes.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like one of the things with that is maybe on a first viewing is it's quite easy to get lost in. Her accent's not particularly great.
1: No. <laughs> it isn't, is it? it it's no. a bit Dick it's, Van Dyke. It's taking a lot of effort to maintain. Yeah. But I
0: think if you get um, past that, then, yeah, it is actually quite a strong performance she's putting on.
2: Yeah, and of course, she isn't doing the accent when she's doing the imprisonment scenes. She's just being a tortured soul, really. She's mm. just saying no a lot. Yeah. Um so, yeah. I mean, yeah. there are some shots in that in that sequence where she's in prison that the 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 facial work that she's doing is quite powerful.
1: Yeah, I do think she's a better physical actor than I'd given her credit for.
2: I mean, I, to to this day, I still think my favourite film that she's been in is Leon.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think every now and then she just pulls something remarkable out of the bag. I yeah. think her, her late breaking cameo in Cold Mountain is fantastic, and that was at the height of the you know days when she was being mocked for the Star Wars prequels. So every now and then she does something really, really good. But a lot I... of the time she can be very mannered. I find. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah she's definitely just she's two, one of those actresses two... where I think. I don't particularly like her. And then she'll do, like, Annihilation or something.
2: Yes. To to, to be fair, you know, it would probably have been unfair to the rest of the cast of the Star Wars prequels if she'd have gone unscathed by the mocking.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the Star Wars prequels did make Samuel L. Jackson look like a boring and uncharismatic actor. So, you know, it's clearly not her.
2: that served him in good stead for um, Skull Island, so... Yeah, a film which even Samuel L. couldn't rescue. Yes. Also,
0: can you just imagine how even more awkward those scenes would be if you had proper like V for Vendetta level Natalie Portman, and then cut to Hayden Christensen?
3: Oh,
1: (laughs) yes. (laughs) But the thing. The thing I suppose I resisted with Portman's performance is the sense initially that it had been moulded onto her star persona. And now I don't know if that's true. I think there, there is a very unfortunate levisation of the character of Evie Hammond in the film, which is unusual in a film that is otherwise very, very close to the letter of the comic. It even yeah. keeps all of Moo's weird intertexts, all of the sort of TV shows within the narrative yeah. and news broadcasts and things. But I am lastingly bothered by the fact that Evie Hammond has been changed from a prostitute struggling to get by... To someone who is working a very nice media job and it adds yeah. to a sense that outside of Larkhill, the concentration camp in the story, this is a dystopia where no one seems to be really suffering that much. Yeah. Uh,
0: See, I'm I'm gonna make a it's... count point that I wonder if maybe that's kind of the point, because like one of the mm. themes of the film is that the problem with fascism is complacency. Like, because most people aren't suffering, that's why these kind of people can get into power. Because it's very much the... Well, I'm not being abused, so why should I care?
2: A good point. It is a good point, but I think the thing is that, as as Graham mentions, all the Lark Hill stuff is meant to have happened in the past. There's references to the fact that it closed down like 10 years ago or whatever it is. Um, And even the, the virus outbreak is in the past. Mm. Um, so, it, yeah, I think I think there is this idea of it's not just that they're complicit because they're not being abused. There is this feeling that actually now, now that they've got the power, as long as they maintain it by having the curfews and the finger men arresting anyone who, who steps out of line... Actually, no one's being abused unless they step out of line.
0: I mean, Stephen Fry does get beaten to death for owning a copy of the Quran. I think that's maybe a little bit bad.
3: But,
2: but, but. I think,
1: hang on, we assume, we assume he's beaten to death for owning a copy of the Quran. It's possible that he's actually beaten to death for running that dogshit, poor, satirical TV show, which that, I would support.
2: That's true. But, he. But that, that actually is the point I make. He gets beaten brutally to death and abused by the system when he gets caught for breaking the rules. Up until that point, he was owning everything, but because he was the darling of the media and not putting a foot out of line, even the point that Evie was going to visit him that night to mask his homosexuality, Mm. is him studiously not stepping out of line so that he doesn't get abused. So he's even complacent and aware of what he needs to do to maintain the visage. But there's no evidence that there are currently people being abused by the system.
1: Well, I don't think that's much of a defence of the system, really. It's the young sort of... If, I'm not defending
2: the system. I'm attacking yeah. the complacent people. You know, the oh, cheering, absolutely. The cheering people in the old people's home. I mean Penny Warren's dad from Just Good Friends he's he's got he's got more right wing as he's got older I tell you <laughs> he was quite a lovely old curve back in the 70s as with
1: every hollywood film made in britain there are some very weird cameos in here aren't there <laughs> yes, yes.
3: <laughs>
1: um I mean I'm I'm looking down the cast list uh Eddie Marson is uh, someone who uses a veneer of progressivism to attack a suppressed left wing minority while pretending to be a decent professional guy uh, but also he appears in this film um <laughs> And, and you've also got, uh, as, as Valerie, who's a, a pivotal character in this movie, uh, uh, the younger version of Valerie is played by the younger version of Imogen Poots. Yes, wow. it
0: is. I always get excited by the little Imogen Poots cameo. Yes. Because she's the actress with the best name in Hollywood.
1: As as Clickall once put it, uh, she conveys grace and class despite the fact that her name is a complete sentence about farting.
2: (laughs) But, also, can you imagine how straight-faced cashiers at her local bank aren't?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, there are some very fine actors in it. I am... particularly fond of Roger Allen as uh, Lewis Prothero, mm. who hosts a nightly show on steam I mean this
0: in the best possible way, but God, he's such a slimy individual, isn't he? He is, but,
2: yes. But, but, this, is, this is what scared me, I think, about watching it, is it's Bearing in mind it's a, what, 2005 film? Yeah. It's strangely prophetic about the media landscape, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah. Uh, I was thinking when I was watching it, which British broadcaster do you think watches his own TV shows while he's showering and sort of chants along with them in a quasi-sexual manner? And then I thought it's probably Adam Bolton. Interesting.
0: I would have said Piers Morgan.
1: Oh, good call. Good call.
2: And Andrew, uh, Andrew Neil.
1: Oh, Andrew Neil! I
0: don't know. Like... I don't think even Andrew Neil can be turned on by the sight of Andrew Neil. It... <laughs> <laughs> the man it's looks like, like, like a disturbing... Sontaran. <laughs> <laughs> the... 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 the thing
3: is,
2: the thing is, right? That's the worst version of the three tenors ever, isn't it? <laughs> Those three chanting along to their own rhetoric <laughs> whilst showering. <laughs> oh,
1: God. God, yes.
2: I mean, that's not going to be a sellout tour, is it? No. <laughs> but it, I mean, it is when you when you think about those those kind of broadcasters. It is such a well observed characterisation,
1: and it is quite funny because in the context of making this film in two thousand and five. George W. Bush has just won re-election in America. It's very obvious that all they've done is looked at Fox News and thought, okay, that but British. Yeah. And that's the way to do British dystopian fiction. You just look at America and say, okay, but what if that was happening with British accents? And eventually it will come true.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's also that's how you adapt something like Viva Vendetta. For a more modern audience.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it is quite an odd thing to think. I know its British release was pushed back a bit to March 2006, rendering the Guy Fawkes-centric marketing a bit meaningless. Yeah. But it is slightly mad to think that this thing came out less than a year after the 7-7 bombings.
2: Well, there's actually some talk that that was maybe one of the reasons why it was delayed.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, there there are bombs on an underground train in this. Yeah,
0: yeah, and also a horrible virus. Yes. Yeah. which that that hasn't aged
1: as well has it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great because I completely forgot that I, that was one of the main thought points.
1: Me yeah. too. Yeah. It felt like maybe when I watched it, I thought, "Ah, oh, they've chickened out on the politics and gone to a sort of comfortingly silly fantasy." And now, yes, yeah, it's hard to really watch it in those terms. Yeah, and and that's
2: that's the that's the scary thought, isn't it? Because when I saw that, when when, when I saw that, and you're right, I'd forgotten that that was a major plot point. When it was covering that, I thought, "Oh my god, if they re- if they release this now." the anti-vaxxers would use it as a rally cry.
1: Tell me about it, yeah. I, th- I think while I agree that this is a very on-the-nose satire of fascism, it has not. it is not so on-the-nose that it has failed to attract the appreciation of every single right-wing dingus you know. Mm. Yes. Yeah.
0: Because, yes, the message of V e Vendetta is that Straight white men are the real oppressed
3: class. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, imagine how badly they treat Valerie Page if she was a straight man.
2: Yeah. <laughs> God,
0: I, I bet we're moments away from getting a V Vendetta NFT.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: yeah they, they released NFTs to coincide with the new Ghostbusters movie which prompted uh, someone on Twitter to say oh man the EPA guy from the first movie was right the Ghostbusters are a threat to the environment
0: <laughs> uh, really that guy is like the most like victim of history guy isn't he yes he was so <laughs> right about everything <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, uh, uh,
1: let's sort of delve a bit into our initial reactions to this Because Mick and I have said that we liked it this time More than we did the first time And uh, Andrew, you've seen it yes, before Yes, I too, have,
0: and I've liked it both times But I think the first time I watched it I was quite a bit younger than the bird I was probably maybe... Fifteen or so. So it's very much a, oh yeah, I like this film because it's got Hugo Weaving and he's got knives and he's going whoosh, 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 whoosh. whoosh." And it's really cool. And this
1: Which leads me quite nicely into actually what one of my major problems was the first time that when you look at the comic of V for Vendetta, even by the standards of like Warrior Magazine, it is very sort of down at heel and unglamorous and it will do things that other comics would make into a huge splash page like the destruction of big ben and it will have them almost as background details and i think part of what turned me off the first time was that kind of very wachowski's action element but i think you know You give and take, when you were making a film like this for $75 million or whatever it was, you lose the luxury of not being interested in action. And I think if that's the payoff to getting things like Valerie's story on screen, then eh, it's a fair trade, I think.
2: One of the things, and it's a long time since I've read V for Vendetta, but one of the things that I seem to remember, and it may be a, um, a misremembering, if you like, is that there was some kind of vagueness about V's gender. Now, I, in fact, to the point where I think that right at the end of V for Vendetta, the, the graphic novel, it's revealed that V is female.
0: No, because I know that they the very point they never, well, never reveal who the original V is. I think what I think is, because there is a shot at the end of *Vendetta* of a female V, but that's because it's now Evie in the costume.
1: Yes, I think that is correct, but you are picking up on something real. Uh, Part of what V for Vendetta was developed from was an unsuccessful pitch that Muir had made when he was in his early 20s about a vigilante called The Doll who was going to be portrayed explicitly as transgender. And it's there. I mean, the the queerness of V for Vendetta is still a massive part of it in the film version.
2: And I think, uh, but I think for me that that was part of the issue. There was that. There was that um,
0: yes.
2: uncertainty in the in the graphic novel, and it was it was lost by the very the very male <laughs> Hugo weaving. Yeah, I think
0: that's one of those things, though, where it's kind of just a sacrifice you have to make because I don't really know how you do Very possibly. a film and still keep that level of ambiguity, because you do need to hire a, a an yeah, actor to do I... the voice and give the, the performance.
2: But But then the thing I'm thinking is, if there was any directing team that should be able to figure out a way to do that... <laughs> It should be that we Ah,
1: but it's not technically directed by them. It's directed by noted author James. Yes, McTig. director
0: of The Raven, James. But McTig-
1: they were on hand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean
2: They were on hand to give advice. I would say
1: so. All of the flack that people used to give Toby Hooper for basically stepping aside and letting Steven Spielberg do poltergeist should absolutely be rerouted towards James McTeague, director of Ninja (laughs) Assassin.
0: I mean, fair play to the guy. At least he has, like, the sense to read the script and go, no, I'm James McTeague, the director of Ninja Assassin. I should not be in charge of this. Wachowskis, please tell me what
3: to do.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, fair.
2: But uh, the, a lot of the a lot of the characters, I think. We mentioned the nineteen eighty four thing earlier, and. John Hurt's character is very much O'Brien from 1984. Um, Stephen Fry's character is almost a sort of Peter from Peter's Friends who's got a job in the media. Yes. There are a lot of echoes of previous... Previous roles. ...representations of these kind of things. They're not... There's no way that John Hurt's walking away from this saying that the Chancellor is a character-defining performance.
1: Perhaps not, no. But I think, you know... I've...
2: I mean, it's John Hurt, he's
1: always watchable. Absolutely, right? and I think everyone does a basically good job. I think Stephen Ray is, uh, as you said about John Hurt, always watchable, and he gives a very good performance. Yeah. He, you know, if, I if you think need someone that... to,
0: to look quite perturbed by what's going on, Stephen Ray is your man.
1: Completely, yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Especially in a situation where things aren't adding up. Yes. Even though you're being told they do.
1: One of the other, before they were famous, cameos in this is Storm Saxon, the sort of fascist adventure hero that they all watch on TV,
3: Yeah,
1: uh, yes. who is played by Chad Stahelski, future co-director oh, of John wow, Wick.
0: I, I did not know that. Oh
1: wow! Oh, that's really cool. It strikes me that if anyone wanted to cancel Chad Stahelski for any reason, you could just probably take a few clips of this out of context, (laughs) couldn't you?
0: (laughs) Oh my god, you could! And you could just look at this film that he was in in two thousand and five. Shocking, isn't it?
1: I mean, no one remembers 2005 anymore. It's far too long ago.
2: Yeah. I I mean, the same is true of 2020.
0: Yes. Yes, yes. In everyone's defence, we've been in two years that have lasted, I mean, what, a decade each?
2: Mm. Yeah, at least. They're the first two years in my lifetime that have come with a volume two.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I-, I thought something was up when, in about June, Zendia turned to me and said, this is just the beginning. Oh, shit, there's another part to this year, isn't there?
0: <laughs> yeah, we all think June Part 2 is releasing 2023, but surprise, it's not. It's just releasing 2021 Redux. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Zack Snyder's 2021.
0: Oh my god. Where they give 2021 <laughs> even more money to be even longer. And.
2: Uh, Where the Omicron <laughs> variant is the same as the other variants, just slightly shinier
1: and <laughs> Actually, medically true? <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: There's a reason they call it spike protein.
3: Hey,
0: there we go. We've done a science joke.
3: Don't tell Big
1: Bang Theory, though. (laughs) So, yeah, I still think there are some things wrong with this. I think um, there are certain things where they could have sacrificed fidelity for the cause of actually making it work on screen, like the bit where Mm. Evie is turned into bait for a paedophile bishop, which is like works in the book because Evie is a young looking 16 year old but when it's Portman you do sort of think oh is there a Sailor Moon convention in the area yeah <laughs>
0: yeah I mean I think that for me yeah. kind of centers around probably my biggest criticism which is a lot of Evie especially in, like the earlier parts of the film because as I said in the book Evie is a 16 year old girl whereas in this she's nebulously in her early 20s i think but they've also yeah, they've I've still yeah. lifted a lot of scenes
2: she she must she, she must be in her early to mid 20s because she's got a job at a media organisation where she's not just fetching coffee <laughs> exactly <laughs> but
0: then they've still they've taken a lot of scenes and a lot of dialogue directly from the comic so she does seem yeah even for a character who's supposed to be quite naive Weirdly, quite like too childish. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I think it's it's almost like I think the thing that spoils it for me is that the names we've named are names that have got no. You would you you wouldn't call them names that have got no claim to being a big budget movie but they feel mm. more like they've been brought to the movie to sell the movie rather than because they bring a quintessential something to the roles.
1: Maybe. I suppose you can say that a bit with Hurt, who is is not who I pictured at the top of the tree when I read V for Vendetta, the comic, but I I think that if a Hollywood film like this was just going for names, you could probably do a bit better than Stephen Ray and Stephen Fry. Mm. You'll find though they are, you won't see them in the next Avengers film.
2: You've not heard about the new Peter Parker then?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and also, it's again, it's one of those things where you say that And then also rewind to, like, 2012 and go, wait, I'm sorry, the schlubby guy from Parks and Rec is going to be in a Marvel film.
3: (laughs) Okay, then.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm sure he's going to be, like, one of Hollywood's biggest leading men.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, fair point. Well made.
2: (laughs) But, yeah, some of of it feels a bit... Well, I I think I think half the casting feels a bit like stunt casting to get the funding in. Yeah, and the other half of it feels Stephen Ray, for example, feels like almost casting to try and legitimise it as an indie film. Do you, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it, I know what you mean. It, yeah,
2: it, it, it lacks the identity. It doesn't regardless of the budget, it doesn't feel like a big budget blockbuster. But it also doesn't feel like an independent production.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think as an attempt to turn V for Vendetta, which is a very prickly and weird text, into... A mainstream Hollywood movie, it does about as well as you could. My fantasy of V for Vendetta is like an ITC TV serial that was made shortly after the comic came out, but since that didn't happen in this universe, I will happily take this.
2: Yeah, but now we've said that, it'll probably come out next year as an Amazon Prime original.
1: Well, yeah, but it won't be an ITC production, will it? Well, Unless no, they but... bought the rights to ITC, which is possible. Yeah. Now you mention it, yeah. I, I think, think they that... bought the rights to me.
0: I would mean, also judge what, what I'm saying. Time, and what... If it's on Amazon Prime, it will have about <clears> the same kind of budget.
1: Yeah, and that—that's the thing. That's what I'm trying to get across. What I'm saying is. What I think is slightly wrong about this and what I think is maybe inescapable is that it is very glossy and modern feeling. Yeah. And part of what I love about V for Vendetta, the comic, is that it feels authentically British and 1970s and, and grey and, and rainy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but but again, I guess that's so it, it, an inescapable so part a... of making it for a, a mid-2000s sensibility
2: it's setting, up, of course. it's setting a London that feels like it's been set on a soundstage in Hollywood. Yes. Rather yeah. than a London that's actually been using Sheffield as a double.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. But I, as you say, I don't think there's a way that you could get it on screen without this happening. I don't think any studio would invest the money necessary to make it in in a film that had that authentic kind of feeling.
0: Yeah. Also I will forgive like any problem I have with that this film. Just for that one bit where Team Bigot Smith says, all you've got is your knives and your fancy karate gimmicks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean there are some there are some details in it that are different to the graphic novel that I really like I don't want to give the impression I'm solely marking it down for not being the book I think the decision to cut the supercomputer that Adam Susan or Adam Suttler in this version consults with is correct I don't think that and and also
0: wants to do smooches on and also wants to do smooches on Uh, Yeah,
1: and, Mm. and is also horny for because this is an Alan Moore script yeah
2: yeah
0: Wants to get into that hard drive. <laughs>
2: Give it a reformat and it won't forget. Yes.
1: Yeah, I don't think that really makes any sense for the type of party Norsefire are meant to be.
2: No.
0: Yeah, it does feel, I do feel like there are a few bits in the graphic novel like that where it's maybe a bit, oh, we've been given like 10 issues for this. Best pad things out of
3: the mm, bit. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, maybe. And it also has um there's f- there's a flash forward in the scene where Stephen Ray's character sees the sort of pattern underpinning things, which is a very Alan Moore ish scene anyway. He always has something mm. like that. There's a flash forward of Creedy shooting V, which Again, it's almost like the stuff from from hell about the architecture of history, about the idea that, you know, linear time is an illusion, which is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I especially like the bit where Stephen re pulled off these mask and it turned out it was Sir William Gull. And... <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes, but not just Sir William Gull. Sir William Gull and the Freemasons and Netley and the... The Elephant Man, I think, for some reason.
0: <laughs> and Mr. and Mrs. Hitler. <laughs>
1: <laughs> From Hell is the best thing.
2: I, I need to watch From Hell, don't I?
1: You don't need to watch it, you need to read it. Okay.
0: Yes, yeah. Reread From Hell. Oh, maybe right. don't watch From yeah.
3: Hell.
0: Yeah, I also, I also think From Hell is maybe one of the reasons I like this film a bit more because From Hell very clearly shows what happens when you try to shove too much Alan Moore
2: in. Yes. That's an arrestable offence, you know.
1: <laughs> I think it's a subplot in Lost Girls.
3: <laughs> oh, I forgot Yeah, Lost Girls.
1: Uh, how can you forget the Jabba Cocky? Yeah, it's, it's a shame, really, that this was the movie that sent Alan Moore's dislike for Hollywood adaptations of his work past the sort of point of no return area, really. Because what seemed to have done it was that this film's producer, Joel Silver, said that he had he had, had a conversation with Alan Moore and Alan Moore was actually very supportive of the film being made, which is true. But Sulfur had left out the fairly crucial detail that the conversation happened around 17 years ago.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, in which Alan Moore said, yes, I'm very happy about the concept of a film existing maybe. Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> it was like, he hadn't I'm... yet had the chance to be reduced to a bitter husk of a man by so, so many bad Hollywood films.
2: So it not actually been specified even that it was a film of his work, just a film was being made somewhere.
1: Yeah, Joel Silver went to him and said, Alan, Gorilla's in the Mist, did you like it? And that's the basis right. of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because again, as much as we like to joke about or being a grump, he has good reason to be a grump because Hollywood really has screwed yeah. him over quite badly. Oh,
1: God, completely. I mean, when you. Com-
0: and also the comic book industry.
1: When you compare what Alan Moore is a grouch about to what, like, 90% of celebrated comic writers end up going mad about, which is what, um, nobody accepts my far-right politics, I have solid proof that the sun revolves around the earth and no one will listen, Um, you know, stuff like that. I think Alan Moore's grudges are a bit more understandable.
0: Yes, it's certainly not... Can you believe they let a woman work in the same office
1: <laughs> Yes. What was I meant to do other than sexually harass her, but suddenly I'm the bad guy? <laughs> oh. Comics really have they are cesspit, aren't they? They are <laughs> close well, to they, hell, well,
2: yes. I so the games industry and the television industry and the movie industry and Pretty much, almost
0: every. I mean, at least the music industry is okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the one industry that doesn't seem to have had any high-profile sexual harassment exposes, coincidentally, is the journalism industry, which I assume must be run by decent people.
2: Well, no, it's just that they know how to turn the phone hacking off, don't they?
1: Yes, that's the, that's the <laughs> yeah. joke. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I met a journalist once.
1: Horrible experience, I imagine.
2: No, quite pleasant. They weren't doing a story on me,
1: though. Yes,
2: but I told them everything they wanted to know about you. With that, (laughs) (laughs) so look out for that being serialized in the (laughs) Sunday. They paid more.
0: Shall we move on to ranking vendetta? I think we should. Yeah. Or maybe we shouldn't because I've just opened up the ranking list and sorry, that into a
2: problem.
1: Oh, is it crashed?
2: Thanks, Microsoft. Oh, no. The oh, fingermen have dear. found oh, out what we were up to. <laughs> they found out that we we're podcasting. It's after okay. Curfew. It's
0: you. <laughs> Okay, it's back, listeners. The ranking list that the man doesn't want you to know about. (laughs) Which is our uh, list of films going from 1 to 26. With, as per usual, A History (laughs) of Violence at number 1. And surprise, surprise, Howard the Duck still at number 26.
1: I feel like I have a frame of reference for this, yes.
0: So... Again, controversially, I'm going to say V for Vendetta, better than Howard the Duck.
2: (laughs) I mean, in fairness, a severe case of piles better than Howard the Duck.
1: I mean, we're acting like this is an uncontroversial opinion, but by saying V for Vendetta is better than Howard the Duck, we're killing our chances of getting Alan Moore as a guest on this
2: show. That's true. Not as much as we would be if we said, it's worse than Howard the Duck. <laughs> That's a tricky one, though, isn't it? If we if we think it's not a turkey and he hates the adaptation, that might be what kills us. Yeah. In terms of that, getting... might be the thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah damn! This one roadblock to escape yeah. Alan Moore.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Shall I? Shall I do a quick run through yes. of our top ten? That's
1: a good idea. Yeah.
0: So, like I say, History of Violence is still number one. Road to Perdition is number two. Hellboy is number three. The Suicide Squad is number four, and Mick will never forgive me for that. Black Widow is at number five. Sin City is at number six. Deadpool is at number seven. Men in Black is at number eight. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 is at number nine. And Birds of Prey See, is See, I don't 10.
2: understand how... In any given universe, Guardians of the Galaxy can be lower than The Suicide Squad.
1: It's difficult for me, because there there are some things in that top ten that I am not fond of, uh, but they are placed above things that I love. So, yeah, they're almost like that's the I format mean, on, of the I show, isn't
3: it? And I've been involved I mean, in the like, ranking. As the architect
0: of the list, <laughs> there are st- there are also things on this list that I don't agree with the positions of.
2: And he has Catholic. I Gould. think.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think FIFA for Vendesse is probably slightly better than Birds of Prey, but not as good as Men in Black.
2: Where would that put it then, Andrew? Just That's
0: man yeah but again this is the problem it's that means that we're saying reef vendetta is not as good as sin city but i do think it's quite a bit better than sin
1: city see i wouldn't say sin city but the deadpool placing is an obscenity in my book
2: I, i i i i i think sin city wins on technical merits
0: yeah, I mean, I think that that's the main reason we've got it so high is just because, because of like how perfectly it does I adapt the source material. You.
2: Like you're watching a graphic novel. Yeah, so that's why it's so high.
1: And you know, I think the three Sin City stories it adapts have not been completely sullied by Frank Miller going all Frank yeah. Miller. So it, it's a guilt-free pleasure in my yeah. book.
0: God, this is some weird, like, riddle of the Sphinx yeah. type stuff. <laughs>
2: yes. I know. Why don't so, we place it in the list at um, a squared plus pi minus n factorial all over c?
1: So it walks on four legs at the start, <laughs> two legs at the beginning. <laughs> And it worships an ancient Roman
2: snake god. Is it Alan Moore? That's it. We'll put it in the list at number Alan Moore.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. well, we've already divided into films and TV. What if we just start a new <laughs> Alan <laughs> Moore? In which each one of the films in the list is ranked Alan Moore out yes. Alan Moore.
1: <laughs> Except The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, no, which is just
0: no, shit. No, no, I've got
1: it. <laughs> oh.
0: We can rank them all, descending from Alan Most to oh, Alan oh, Least.
1: I want us to make a graph of this that is just Alan Moore with a big long beard with various points marked on it for each <laughs> one of the films.
0: I mean, it makes about as much sense as the list is at the moment.
1: Yes.
0: So, We're gonna
1: do this. I have accepted that the, the the consensus has it that this is not as good as Deadpool, which I'm, I'm not gonna complain. Not
0: gonna but complain. I would personally put it above Deadpool. Oh, fine, go uh, ahead. Uh, uh, yeah. Also, the is, underneath I wouldn't, Men in
2: Black, but I would put it above the Suicide Squad.
0: So, V for Vendetta is our new number weirdly, four. Weirdly, I'd put
2: it below Guardians of the Galaxy. on the basis that Deadpool The Guardians of the Galaxy and, indeed, V for Vendetta are films I want to watch again.
1: I would think that if you... You know,
0: it's it's really good that on the V for Vendetta episode we're proving what a horrible, like, poorly thought-out system committee is <laughs> Yeah,
1: the V for Vendetta episode has proved that democracy doesn't work and will lead to Norse fire being
3: elected, so, yes.
2: I, I I don't think this argument will be correctly settled until the votes for V for Vendetta going into a particular position outnumber the votes mm-hmm. against by 58, uh, 52 to 48.
1: God almighty, I'm going for the second glass.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, no,
1: it's I've, fine. We can I've had that punchline lined up all show, and I feel like this was the moment.
0: No, no, I'm gonna figure it out. So, so great. yes. What number would you put it at?
1: See on a blind list, I would say this is about the eighth or ninth best film you have done. Now, I, I'm not saying that I would have the films above it that you have put above it, but eight or nine feels right.
0: Okay, Mick, what about you?
2: In terms of the films we've covered, I can probably think of eight or nine films that I prefer to this. But similar to Graham,
0: which again are not the are not the eight or exactly. nine films that we've got absolutely that, not.
2: not. That's that's what, because I've got the uh, disability that Graham doesn't have in that you normally just pull editor's choice over me. <laughs>
0: I know, but we're also at the point where I feel like I don't know where I'm going to put it.
2: Graham and I have both said eight or nine sounds about right. Yeah. So if we put it at eight, what can we
0: displace? If we put it at number eight, Men in Black gets moved down. If we put it at number nine, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. Well, I mean, technically, it gets
2: moved down whichever way we do it, but. Mm.
1: Okay, what if we have it replace Birds of Prey at number 10? Yes Then Men in Black and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 stay in position
2: Because it's not their fault They haven't done anything wrong
1: No, they've done a lot right
2: Entertained millions they have Yes Yeah,
0: and I do FIFA Vendetta is in the top ten, and I'm happy about that. Yes, and it's nestled in there with a
2: bunch just of films that just goes to show alone, that England will and a prevail.
0: Few films that, in retrospect, <laughs> I'm not sure why I put them. So, far. and yes, yes, England will prevail. That's that's the note <laughs> we'll end the podcast <laughs> The totalitarian government slogan. <laughs> Whereas were bulletproof as ideas,
2: yes. <laughs> oh, that's what we should have. We should have put it in at the idea of number ten.
1: Yes, whereas the actuality of number ten remains birds of prey. Yes. Birds of prey is the practice to this the to this film's theory.
0: Yeah, there, there we go. So, FIFA Vendetta is our new conceptual. And don't forget, 10. listeners, you can choose
2: it, <laughs> tune into our. Uh... It's the shadow number 10! Continuing to our debate programme, Inside Behold. Uh...
1: Oh, sorry, I've I've got to stop you. It's been replaced as shadow number 10 by West Streeting for some reason. Okay. (laughs) That joke will be out of date by the time we go live.
2: Be out of date by the time we finish recording.
0: Yes, yes, it
3: will.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's very bold of you to assume that the Labour Party will have the same members in like a week's time. (laughs) Of the other people are going to know, like, anyone below Keir Starmer when they don't even know who Keir Starmer. I don't know who <laughs> <Keir
2: Starmer is. laughs> has to write to himself on a daily basis with a photo ID.
1: <laughs> Keir Starmer is a man who cruelly believed the spoonerism of his own name. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the that's the solid political point we're ending on, isn't it?
0: It is indeed. And, yeah, I think that's probably about it Excellent. for the show. Indeed. So if you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find all of them on the feed or just wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Graham, if people want to find more of you, where where can they find you? I
1: host The Geek Show's Pop Screen podcast covering pop stars in the movies. I also write for The Geek Show and Horrified.
0: Excellent. And I believe social media-wise you've made a horrible, horrible mistake. Oh yeah,
1: I rejoined Twitter at Graham W Films. Yeah, I'm having the time of my life there. I'm pleased that I joined just in time for the new Twitter CEO. I bet he makes it into a really good website.
0: <laughs> well, here we go. The dawn of non-fungible Twitter. <laughs> so, so I'm obsessed with NFTs I, I can't believe they're real.
3: <laughs> it is
1: It is like a parody of all of the worst aspects of the art market combined with all of the worst aspects of crypto.
2: This is why I stay out it, with really. uh, most social media. I keep in touch with the people I need to keep in touch with by the one, so, one or two social media applications that they use and be damned to the rest of them.
0: Indeed. Speaking of horrible social media, if you do want to get in touch with us, our email is BeholdPod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at BeholdPod. Also, if you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate it if you subscribed or left us a review on your podcast app of choice. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew.
2: I've been Mick.
1: And I've been Graham.
0: So long and thanks for listening.